What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Championship Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm excited. We got Taylor A. Welch. He's from uh, he's from Nashville, Tennessee, and um, co-founder of Traffic and Funnels, Wealth Cap Holdings. Also, the CEO of the Sales Mentor, and um, most recently, he's got a few different podcasts: Traffic and Funnels podcast, but also one that uh, just recently just just put out called Daily Mind Medicine. So definitely check that out. You can you can find Taylor at uh, Instagram and Facebook at Taylor A. Welch and also more about him and his company at trafficandfunnels.com. So appreciate you taking some time to be with us today, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, first off, I just want to ask, you know, championship leadership is the name of the podcast. What comes to mind for you? Like what does championship leadership mean when you hear that? Uh, Nick Saban. You are uh, you're two for two. I'm two for two today. Uh, I had another guy, Colin Wayne was on just a little bit ago and he said the same exact thing, Nick Saban. Yeah, I, there's the documentary on HBO that's Belichick and Saban. Have you seen it? Yeah. No, I haven't. I got to check it out though. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched it two or three times and uh, it is amazing. It's amazing. I grew up in Louisiana. So okay. when Nick Saban, you know, that's like he was the Tigers coach and then he went to Alabama and the – I. Found my wife, married my wife. She is from Alabama. So we have a house that is split down the middle. Oh, man. Uh, in fact, our wedding cake said house divided and one side was LSU Tigers and the other side was <laughs> Alabama roll tide. So it's pretty funny. Oh, wow, man. Yeah, that's uh, and like you take your football seriously in the South, especially oh, in yeah. college ball, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> LSU and, and, uh, and especially Alabama. So. Yeah, I talk, I, I bring up Sabin and, and Belichick all the time on this podcast is just, I mean, if there's, they are the epitome of championship leaders and what they've been able to do over a long extended period of time. So it's uh, kind of cool to hear that some other people see that the same way. What's, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about more about yourself and how, you know, the path that you've been on and, and how you've gotten it to where, where you are today with what you got going on. Yeah. Um, I, you know, so many people have the stories where they grew up wanting to be an entrepreneur or they 
had their entrepreneurial roots back to a lemonade stand when they were 11 years old. I didn't have that. I did not ever want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't have the vision for it. Uh, I wanted to work at a church and I ended up achieving that dream when I was 22 years old and realized that I didn't like it. And my wife was an entrepreneur and she actually owned a hair salon and was kind of working for herself, earning the money that she wanted to earn. And ultimately I kind of stumbled into entrepreneurship through my wife and you know, it depends on how deep you want to go, but I have some real estate experience built in there and uh, on my path outside of working for the ministry vocationally, I got into real estate, stumbled upon marketing to help that company and my wife grow. And then in the last six years have just been you know, insane. We've gone from zero to eight figures in two companies and wow. we're about to have a third hit seven figures this year. So it's just, you know, I remember growing up, it's interesting that you know, the, the theme of this podcast is leadership. My dad was a VP of sales for all state insurance. Not and I remember 13 years old, he was taking me, you remember this, they had the simulcast with John Maxwell and they would like yeah. type in to the, the, the presenters to the screen inside a big church. My dad used to pull me out of school and make me go to those simulcasts. And uh, man, I hated these things. I didn't understand yeah. what was going on. <laughs> and he would bribe me with Chick-fil-A. And it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny looking back because John Maxwell, Patrick Lencioni, like these vibrant team leadership trainers. Yeah. It was almost like it was just put into me from an early age and I didn't know how to use it until I started managing and stewarding people. And it was just like a light switch flipped on. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot to, that I owe to my dad for kind of taking me through that process when I was young that set me up to have a position in leadership later. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's incredible that, uh, that your dad did that. And like you say, I mean, John Maxwell, man, you talk leadership. I don't know how you don't say his name next. He's Usually, I mean, he's just like, yeah, he is. He is the king when it comes to that space and that conversation. I, I know me personally, I've, I've, I found him probably 20 years ago and, and, and have like just consumed everything that, that he's put out. And I just, he's an incredible speaker, incredible author. And he's, yeah, he's the top when he comes to leadership. So that's kind of cool that, you know, you didn't see it. Of course, I probably wouldn't see it too as a kid, like, oh man, what are you doing? Pulling me out to do this. But yeah. Just to look that's back. Point and of like, this. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So you said ministry talk, talk, if you wouldn't mind just a little bit more about that and uh, how that came into play for you. Yeah. Um, I met my wife through uh, ministry. We were, you know, I remember being in high school and I had tried out for the basketball team and I had gotten a spot on the basketball team and I played in Memphis, Tennessee. We had moved to Memphis. And ultimately I remember having a conversation with my mom and my dad. And I was like kind of struggling with it because practice was every day after school, but I also joined the worship team at church and yeah. I couldn't do both. And so I had to select one. And I remember having that conversation and ultimately, I wanted to uh, become a pastor. And so I dropped out off the basketball team so that I could be at practice for the worship team at church. And, you know, throughout my whole childhood is a thread of, you know, my parents raised me in church. And I just wanted, I think uh, my mom tells a story of when I was a little kid, three or four years old, people asked me what I wanted to be. And I wanted to be a cowboy preacher. I want to be a preacher <laughs> to cowboys. This is a kid. It. So That's from awesome. early, early age. And so I took a, a full-time position at a church in Memphis and 
at that point, you know, we had, I had moved and I moved back to Memphis. And so I was getting married and I ended up, I was actually over all of the volunteers for production in a church in Memphis, pretty good sized church, six, 7,000 members. And, you know, I was, I, I look back on that time in my life and it was a time of testing. I was being challenged because I was a kid running a whole ministry of volunteers. I didn't know what I was doing. I messed up probably more times than I could even count. And it was hard because I thought that this was my dream to go in and become a pastor, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't my dream. I had a different picture of what it would look like than what reality showed me. And that was really the first time in, I think my life up to that point, where I had worked so hard for something and then it turned out to kind of feel like it wasn't worth it. And I remember being so defeated with my brand new wife. We had been married for like less than a year and just working through all of that and got an opportunity to take a property management position at a real estate firm in Memphis. And I took it and uh, still was involved in the church, but I realized that I would rather be involved in the church as a volunteer (laughs) rather than a a (laughs) full-time employee, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I, it just brings me back to like, there's a lot of things that I, in the moment didn't make a lot of sense maybe, but uh, looking back, it's definitely, there was a reason that I had to go through this or that, or that I did, you know, all of the things have aligned now to what I do today. And so, you know, maybe talk a little bit about how, how that time as a minister and all of those things as a young man and, and you're just freshly married. And it's not the thing that you thought it was going to be but how it has helped you with what you do right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ministry is kind of a, a rabbit hole, you know, we could, we could spend hours on it, but the biggest thing for me is like the way that you have to steward and lead volunteers versus the way that you can like steward and lead full-time employees you know, a lot of people think it's different, but then, you know, if you think about it, it's exactly the same because right now we're in a negative job deficit in the United States. People can work anywhere they want to work. I don't know what your experience is with this, but for us, like we're constantly trying to find new people because in the market that we're at, people, they have so many, uh, they have a surplus of places to go. And Mm -hmm. so I think back to that time of like a volunteer, you know, they're not getting paid to be here. And so you have to communicate with them differently. You have to win their buy-in. You can't just tell them what to do. And in hindsight, leading people who are on full-time payroll is kind of exactly the same. You should be getting their buy-in. You should be yeah. finding out why people, what is in it for people's personal, you know, what are they getting from the job besides the paycheck? And I think what you find is that the paycheck is usually at the bottom of the list for people. It's not at the top of the list, especially right. if you look into the millennial crowd. They care about the money, but only to a certain extent. Our people are really here because they buy into the mission. They love the culture. They love the work environment. They're developing friendships and relationships. And so I learned a lot of what I know today about, you know, organizational leadership from my time in the ministry when the, I didn't have any real power over people. And that sounds bad, but yeah. I had to learn to be resourceful and really lead them by being at the front, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that makes total sense too. So What's uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about who are some people that, you know, championship leaders, coaches, mentors that have impacted you. And I guess really less about who they are and more about like, what, what is it about them? Like, what are some of the qualities? What are some of the things that maybe you've taken from, from people that have impacted you uh, to help 
create the leader that you are today or the owner that you are today in your life? I mean, the start of the top is, you know, we talk about Bill, uh, Belichick and Saban. Yeah. Like the, the thing I love about Belichick is like the simplicity of his philosophy. Do your job. Just do your job. Everybody has a different job. And if you can just do your job, then everyone else is doing their job. It's not that complex. It's not that complicated. And you take that from football and you move it into business and it works exactly the same. Mm -hmm. You have your job, you have your yep. job, just do your job. And most of the failures inside of an organization, you know, you can actually, you can trace them back to the leader, but more so you can trace them to the lack of clarity on what is my job. And Belichick is a master at clearly articulating, here is what your job is. I think there's a lot of, you know, I tell people there's really three big things that mess up a company culture. One is uncommunicated expectations uncommunicated people don't know what <laughs> yeah. people don't know what you want them to do and right. then you're getting on to them because you have an expectation that they never really knew to to meet the second is miscommunicated expectations you know, this happens all the time it's not that it's uncommunicated it's that it's miscommunicated it's not clear it's not concise you find this inside of startups because one person has so many conflicting responsibilities that they can't even breathe you know, things yeah. are not communicated appropriately. And then the third is misaligned expectations. You know, we, we train all these salespeople inside of Sales Mentor and the number one mistake people make in their sales culture is they begin requiring salespeople to do things that they are not paid to do. And so you have beautiful pipelines, everything administrative is perfect. All your salespeople, they're clean, neat, on time, but there's no sales. There's no sales in the organization. So you go, you run out of money. Versus you look at a really good sales culture, man, they're ringing the bell every 30 seconds. You go out to our offices out here, we have a sales pit over to the right. And there's a bell that they ring when they make a sell. It's just like every couple minutes, there's a bell ringing. But this, the trade-off for that is sometimes administratively, things aren't very neat. Sometimes yeah. things are late. You got to make sure that there are aligned expectations with people because ultimately people will not do what they're not incentivized to do. And if you incentivize the wrong thing, you can go broke in business. That's a long rant. Yeah. Uh, and I only named one person, Yeah, but I can keep going if you want me to. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I would, if you have somebody uh, front of mind, uh, please do. Otherwise, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you put out a lot, you, you said a lot right there. Yeah. I mean, Nick Saban, I love that Nick Saban is, is, you know, you look at Nick Saban's coaching style and he is a master of the optics. He's a master of the optics. And I don't mean he's a master of his image. I mean, he's a master at what he causes his players to focus on. They're not worried about winning championships. They're not worried about winning games. They are not worried about, they're worried about one thing. And that is how do I win this play, this one play. And he simplifies people's focus, you know, in a different way than Belichick does. And I think it works the same in organizations as well. When you have a bad month, you're never having a bad month, man. You're having a series of bad days where you have a series of bad choices. And those bad choices stack up into a month that stacks up into a quarter. And so Saban's a master at saying, no, 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 get out of the month, get out of the quarter, get out of the championship, focus on the play and just make sure that you snap the ball on time. You know, those little things that impact the win. My dad made a big impact on me, obviously. Uh, John Maxwell, probably somebody who's a little bit lesser known would be a guy named Steve's Bull. Um, 177 mental toughness habits, whatever. I love yeah. his, his work. Those would be just a couple off the top of my head. Yeah, actually. An hour later. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny you just mentioned Steve because he's, uh, 
he's a he's a good friend of uh one of my business partners and and, and i'd never heard of him before that but uh but yeah he he worked with him and and uh so yeah it's interesting to nice. hear him say that name pop up you know what i what i'm hearing is like you're looking at saban you're looking at belichick you're looking at all these other it really doesn't matter is what i hear you saying as far as like if there's a championship level leader out there i I would almost guarantee you could take Belichick or Saban, put them in the uh, business world, and and they would they would have just as much much success. Meaning that like there's definitely rollover. Uh, if you're a leader, you're a leader, and um, you know you can put you in just about any avenue, and and they would rise to the top. And so I love that you're taking from those into what you do. Absolutely. What is uh, you know, what is the vision for you, and, and where you want to go over the next you know, near future here. Uh, I think championship leaders that have great vision, but also the, the uh, courage to really execute and decisively execute on that vision. Um, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that and where you're headed. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's so funny because my vision, like I, it changes all the time and it, sure. and I try to go out as far as I can while yeah. maintaining fluidity, you know, like my, my first goal when I started in marketing, the, fur, the furthest I could see was I was going to replace my wife's income and then sit at home mm. and just <laughs> have fun. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I, was, I had more drive than I gave myself credit for. Yeah. Um, but now with Traffic and Funnels, you know, we're in a season of replacing uh, ourselves with our leadership team. I'll probably spend 10 to 15 hours a week right now inside of Traffic and Funnels. This is the business that could go on and probably hit 40, 50, 60 million a year and I won't be involved. Mm -hmm. um, the way we're doing that is just spending time with great leaders and letting them make mistakes so that they can be trained in the process. You know, I, a How lot important of people, is that? Yeah. It's, it's, it's devastating to a new leader when they are penalized strongly for a mistake that is actually required for their training. You're gonna have to throw interceptions to learn how to be Tom Brady. Right. And uh, if there's a fear culture that's built into a, a, a staff, then they can't do that. And so most of like most of my time right now is actually spent like trying to help people prevent mistakes without telling them what to do. Um, and that's interesting. It's like a that's new powerful, right? It's a new season to be in. We'll go all in on the real estate stuff and uh, TF will continue to grow. But I think over the next three, four or five years, you know, we'll we'll cross the nine figure mark with, uh, with real estate and we'll, and we'll just see, like, we'll just keep growing. I mean, my goal was to retire when I turned 30 and when I was 28, I had the opportunity to retire and I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I love what I'm doing. And now it's just, I'm just playing for the game. There's really nothing keeping me going outside of, I just really love the game. I had a new yeah. baby girl born last, last year. She's almost a year old. And awesome. it, the older I get and the more influence is given me, the hungrier I get to play at new levels. And I think that's what young leaders really need to focus on. What's the bigger game here? Because Sabin's is not coaching for money anymore. Right. Um, and I don't even think he's coaching for his image or like, I don't think he, he cares about the records anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I think he loves his guys and he loves yeah. it when he can take them into a place where they're playing in the NFL. And in that documentary, he's like, Bilicek's the only guy who calls me and asks me what I think about players before he, before he recruits them. And I think that there's something to that. Like, I love the process of giving people more. I love the process of 
walking them through their first experience with this staff or this staff. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but I just love the game. So I don't even care what's next. You know, it's just like going to be fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it makes total sense to me is that, um, yeah, it sounds, it sounds cool when you're younger to say, oh, I'm going to retire at 30. But if you like someone like yourself, that's just driven and just loves the game, just like a Saban does, just loves what they do and the impact that they make, you're never going to retire, but it's never going to feel like work. It's just going to always, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, that's great. I love it. Um, what is a time in your life, you know, I ask this question often, it's, it's just great for people to hear the critical moments in your life where you could have made a, a different decision that you did and would have you somewhere completely different in life, but you did have that courage to make the decision you did. Because I think a lot of people, oftentimes the route they want to go is the one that's not the sexy route, it's not the popular route, but they just feel drawn to go that way, but they got everybody else maybe pulling them a different direction. Maybe it's a safe play, whatever you want to call it, right? But but had, had you not made the decision you did in this moment, you could be somewhere completely different. Uh, is, there, is there a time that really um, pops out to you you could share? I think there's probably a dozen times. Of course. Um, that pop out. Yeah. And I think if, if you ask yourself that question and you can't think of a moment like that recently, mm-hmm. uh, that should scare you. Yeah, right. Because you're probably sitting in a stagnant pond, yep. uh, not growing. But we... Probably the most recent was just the decision to get into, into the new business of real estate. You know, in, in, in the marketing world, we kind of got to the top pretty quickly um, mm-hmm. in terms of size, revenues, staff size, et cetera, client rosters. And I think there were a few moments that it's like, you know, we could just uh, keep all this money in an account and, and live <laughs> off of this for the next yeah. 20 years. And so it was a bigger decision of me and Chris, who's my business partner, of really deciding we're going to put a substantial amount of capital into a new venture and really figure it out. But I'm, in hindsight, I'm glad that we did because there's, you know, it, most of the times when you make big leaps and big decisions, it will expand your optics further out and it'll actually take your vision and pull it out further. Yeah. And the reason people can't see is usually because if they look backwards, if you look backward, how many risks have you taken in the last six months? How many, how many uncomfortable positions have you been in in the last year and a half? They don't have any risks. They have, they're not growing. So mm-hmm. like, what's going to happen with your vision? You're just going to shrink. You know, it's that age old, those without vision perish. And it's true. Mm-hmm. And it's true biologically. It's at a subcellular level. It's not just woo woo. I had to make the same decision when we, me and Chris decided to partner because I was doing fine by myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't yeah. need anything. So many moments in the last year and a half that I could probably bore everyone to death with. But <laughs> moral of the story is to somebody just starting out, my life is terrifying. It's, it's risky decision after risky decision after risky decision. But for me, the riskiest thing in the world is to stay put because yeah. someone else will come cannibalize you, you know? And so it's really my view of risk is probably quite a bit different than most other people's. Yeah, but I think you just said it right there. I mean, you know, for those listening, you know, what the biggest risk of them all is, is for them to just stay put and not yep. choose and move. So, yeah, thank you. What's, uh, as we wrap this up, I want to respect your time. What, what's one thing or one or two things that you could leave with the listeners that, you know, if they implement today, that it would help them move forward today inside their life? Is the, what's the audience? Just leaders? Uh, leaders all over? Yeah, leaders, entrepreneurs, business owners. Yeah, when my daughter Kate was born, 
you know, my MO, my history was I would say the truth no matter what the cost ends. My mind, you know, I, I justified maybe not showing up the right way because of what I was saying was true. Truth was the only thing that mattered. I was a truth teller, but I was potentially uh, not communicating in the right way. And when Kate came along, I had started having these moments where I was like, you know, if somebody spoke to her in the way that I'm speaking to this person, even if what they say is true, that will not be acceptable to me. Yeah. And it changed my filter. And, you know, as leaders, like a leader's job is to see ahead. You can see further than normal people. You could probably see around corners. And sometimes the temptation for us is to let that make us feel superior. We're at like, we can communicate however we want to communicate because we're right. And we freaking know we're right. But I have learned that the most appropriate thing that I can do for somebody, if I'm trying to give them vision and I'm trying to steward them or correct them is first to make sure that they know how much I care about them personally. Mm -hmm. Everybody who works for me knows that I care more about them personally than I do what they can do for my companies. And I think when you have that relationship, you are able to communicate powerfully with strength, with conviction, but you're able to do it without offending that person or making that person feel little. You know, I don't, I don't want to be the guy where people spend time around me and they're like, you know, he's right and he's obviously successful, but I just felt small around him. You know, and I think I was becoming that person. And thank God for Kate and for just the ability to learn lessons because I want to make people feel bigger if you can create, if you can make people feel bigger, then you will always be able to make them better. But if people feel smaller because of you, you won't be able to make them better. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's, that's, that's awesome. It's awesome to hear that you were able to, um, to make those shifts in your life as well. You know, because I think a lot of people, especially at a younger age, will go and uh, they won't recognize it. They won't see it. And uh, it won't be until late in life when they realize it when it's too late, right? So I just yeah. it's awesome that you were able to make that shift. And, and of course, children have, a, have a, a great way of doing that for many of us as well. So um, yes, I do. appreciate you being here today. What, could you tell just real quick, like I know Daily Mind Medicine is the, the latest podcast that you guys got going on. Maybe uh, just tell the audience a little bit about what that's all about and how we can you know, find, find that. Yeah, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago for our higher level clientele, we started doing these things, the Mindset Mondays. They were basically Facebook Lives or Zooms like this. Because of how much we have going on how, and the requisite resistance we have to battle through because of the, the size of our businesses, I've learned that everything is about thinking. Everything is about thinking. Uh, honestly, like the way that if, if somebody's going to model or copy me, don't copy my copywriting or advertising or sales or anything, but copy how I think and you will reproduce everything that I have. And so a lot of people started asking us, man, it'd be great if you had a mindset product. It'd be great if we could buy a mindset product. So we have 30, 40, 50,000 customers a year that come through TF. And we just were like, let's make the decision and let's publish a daily mindset training uh, where people can listen to it and like a daily supplement for your brain you can slowly train yourself to think how the leaders of the world think. And so it's really powerful. It just actually, I don't know when this episode will launch, but it, it actually dropped today. Like today was the first episode okay. and people are raving about it. Dailymindmedicine.com and you can pick it up it's three to five minutes every single day. So easy commitment. Uh, that's great. And yeah, today's uh, what? March 2nd, 2020. So 
Um, we'll get this out definitely within the month, but I really appreciate you being here and taking some time out of your day, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, Nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera. I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable. From my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years. Of marriage, it's never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for. I'm gonna be a leader, I'ma lead the way, cause I'm a firm believer. We can do anything we want. If I said it, then I meant it, I probably already did it. Consider it done. Consider it done. If you need some inspiration, you should play this championship leadership podcast. Hey, baby.